Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 14, Best Movie Opening Scenes. Hey, Chris McBrien here. It's Pop Goes Your World, along with Yancey Eaton. As always, got lots to get to this week. Yancey, what's new? Have you been, you been watching anything new? Anything new, exciting going on in your life? What's shaking? I have, Chris. I uh, first off, good evening, and, and you. Too, I hope I, I hope you had a fantastic Canadian Thanksgiving. Oh, I did. Lots um, of turkey and lots to drink, and lots of nice. family too. So two out of three ain't bad. Yeah, very nice. So happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have been watching some stuff. I think you're going to be especially proud of me. I watched a. Uh, I've been watching a lot of Netflix, so I'm trying to watch weird movies that I had not seen before. Instead of watching the same stuff over and over again, like I've told you, I've I've watched The Office like, yep. you know, five times by this point. Right. Um, the first one I watched was Contact uh, oh, okay. by yep. Jodie Foster. Foster. Did you yeah. see that? I have. It's very very good. good. Very, I was actually well super done. surprised at how good that movie was. Yep. Um, and then I watched Sphere with uh, Sharon Stone and Samuel L. Jackson and Dustin Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Not um, quite as good. Yeah, not quite as good. It was okay. Mm-hmm. It was okay. Um, but anyways, but you will never guess the movie that I saw today for the very first time. Oh, I'm excited. What was it? You like it a lot. And oh. it's embarrassing that I had not seen it yet. Is it The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh? Uh, close. It's oh. Jaws. I oh. watched Jaws. Wait, 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 wait. Hold, hold the phone here. Wait, wait, wait. You've never seen it before? I have never sat down and watched it in its entirety from start to finish. I've seen bits and pieces and stuff like that. I wow. literally never sat down and just uh, and just watch it in its entirety. And so what's your take on it? I'm curious as a millennial, especially one from the digital age with CGI coming out your yin-yang, what do you think about a movie with a big rubber shark? How did it hold up? So here's the thing. Um, I don't want you to take this as me saying it is not a good movie. It's a great movie. Um, I think the first act is – by far the strongest obviously the third act is incredibly corny because it's literally just like the shark comes the shark leaves the shark comes the shark leaves the shark comes it's literally the whole last hour of the film that's that's all it is i wish they would have expanded on it more like when you really think about it only three people died in the movie i know that makes me sound kind of like morbid and and you know disgusting like a human being but I, I wish there would have been more of like the underwater view where you see people swimming and stuff like that and the music's playing. That part was just the most captivating. Like I could literally just feel like my body tense up. It was it was perfect. Like some of the most perfect scenes I've ever seen. Obviously the opening scene with her, you may bring it up tonight. I'm not sure. You know, spoiler alert. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to put that on you. But um, if there was one other knock I had for it. It was like at weird points, there was like really weird like or like you know, symphonic music, like, like uppity, like ballad style music where it didn't fit, like with like xylophones and stuff in it. I don't, I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but like really weird choice of instrumentation, like in certain scenes of the movie, like triumphant ballad music for like no reason as like a shark is literally like coming to and from the ship. I don't know. I just thought it was really weird, but I think more than three people died in it. Didn't because Chrissy Watkins died at the beginning. The Kittner boy died. Ben Gardner, The Boy Scout leader in the boat, Quint. So there's five. That's just off the top of my head. But uh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Yeah. The the, Chris, the boy died. Chrissy Watkins. I, they, remember the Kittner boy on the raft? He went out in the raft, and the shark attacked him in front of everybody, and they closed down the beach. Oh, that's true. Okay, okay. He didn't. Right. He, he never closed down the beach. That's why she. That's why she. The widow slapped him in the face. Right. Ben Gardner. Remember the scene when they go to Ben Gardner's boat, and his head pops out of the of the bottom of the boat. 
You're right. You're right. Okay. Right. Yeah. And then there's the Boy Scout leader. Hey, you guys okay? You guys okay? And the shark comes and attacks him. His leg goes to the bottom. Of the- I was seven years old, by the way, when I first saw Jaws. Way too young. Saw it at the drive-in. My mom took me there to see it. Oh, my my, my mom's probably going to get emails on this. So she, seven years old, I went to see Jaws. It, as soon as that scene came with the guy's leg when it hit the bottom of the, of the, the ocean there, I was like, mommy, I want to go home. I don't want to watch this anymore. I was so scared. I was like, I don't want to watch it anymore. I want to go home. I'm scared. I'm scared. Um, yeah. Oh man, that movie's so good. And and I guess I guess I understand what you're saying at the end <clears throat> with the, the 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 rubber shark coming up and stuff. I don't know. I think it all just plays really well as a. Oh, I don't know. I just I think it I think it works better than it does would have with CGI. And I certainly think you're right. This first act act of the movie works much better because the shark didn't work, you know, but, mm-hmm. uh, but good, good on you. I got to give you props. Good yep, for you. I you tried. Watched I tried. I watched awesome. it. I did enjoy it. Very good. You know what? I, <clears throat> I did want to mention something as well. So, We've obviously had an ongoing debate here on the show for the last month or so, I guess, since episode 10, since we talked about the, the original Star Wars trilogy. And Yancey, you referred to the Imperial Walkers on Hoth as AT-ATs, and I corrected you by calling Correct. them at-ats, and then the debate ensued from there. <clears throat> we've had listeners tweet us, we've received emails, none of which seem to sway Yancey into believing that at-ats <laughs> is the correct way to say that, <clears throat> until now, that is. This week, I received a tweet from the legendary Phil Tippett. Oh my. The man who was originally hired by George Lucas at Industrial Light and Magic to create the tabletop chess sequence in Star Wars, the same man who was then pegged to head up ILM for The Empire Strikes Back, and also the same man who co-created the go-motion technique to bring the Imperial Walkers to life, until Phil Tippett had this to say to me in a tweet. He said, and I quote, I say at-at for Imperial Walkers. Chicken Walker, that's A-T-S-T, Hope that's helpful from Phil Tippett. So, Yancey, will you now accept the fact that the Imperial Walkers are pronounced at-ats since it came right from Phil Tippett himself? Listen, if I'm anything, it's humble, and I'm not too proud to admit whenever I'm wrong. Obviously, coming from a credible source like that, it was the verified account and everything, so there's literally no disputing it. Of course, you were kind enough to tag me in that tweet so I could see it for myself, so (laughs) there's not a whole lot I could say, you know what I mean? Exactly, so I just had to prove that point. So, you know, if you want to reach out to us on Twitter, you can make sure that you do it at Yancey Eaton or at C. McBrien, and also remember, you can always find all of our contact information at popgoesyourworld.com. Anyway, this week, we're going to be taking a look at the most memorable opening scenes in movie history. Let's hit it. Back in 1985. I don't want to give people the wrong idea. <laughs> Saved by the bell. The college years. My wife knows about this. She's cool with this. You know, like the girl from Dirty Dancing and Ferris Bueller? I am in love with dank memes. MC Micro G and DJ Swen. Black people Twitter. We're going to ring ring a dong for a holy day. It's not something you just want to advertise. Because rapping is my thing and I do it every day. As you're singing this, I'm like cringing for you. <laughs> I pretend that I have my own show on the Food Network. Okay, so we're going to go with our top five list. Yancey, you're going to start us off. We'll go from five to one, like always. Your number five greatest opening scene in movie history is? Uh, Number five, I went with a classic, uh, the Stanley Kubrick classic. I'm sure you know already what it is. It's 2001, The Space Odyssey, uh, the Dawn of Man scene, where it's like this like nine and a half, almost 10 minute scene, you know, with very few cuts and stuff like that. And it's basically, quote unquote, the Dawn of Man. It shows, you know, like apes and it shows them being attacked by, I think it's like a cheetah or, or jaguar or something like that. It shows them... Uh, you know, two rival, you know, tribes of of apes basically fighting each other, and it's just this really long, weird scene. It's obviously people in in suits, you know, they're in like 
you know monkey suits and stuff like that but it, it's like a really haunting kind of like super super long scene obviously no english there's no dialogue in it because they're apes like we said but uh it really sets the movie up because it literally goes from like the actual dawn of man and of course as you know like the, the movie just completely jumps like what thousands of years just like that and i mean it ends up in a totally different place it's like this really really interesting start to a movie that if you're thinking of like a sci-fi film you would never expect it to start like that and that's that's kind of how i love it um a, a lot of movies they kind of start out with like a, they'll show you an opening scene and then everything comes full circle at the end where it kind of like brings you back to that and it ties the ending with the opening scene this is obviously completely different it's just like this it's this lateral just perfect straight line and uh it's it, it's a super super weird movie so uh in 2001 a space odyssey is my number five <clears throat> excuse me so uh yancy we mentioned this on the podcast before i just want to reinforce this once again you and i do not share our list before we come on we turn on the mic and we just start spewing this so we do not share things ahead of time so we don't know what the other one is going to come up with correct, correct. okay never, never. Uh, my number five 2001 a space odyssey from 1968 that's what I just said. Uh, yeah, I know. I am with you. I'm just saying, <laughs> hey, so we we both agree on something here. We both have the same number five. I agree with you. I think when it, when it comes to iconic movie openings, you don't get much more iconic than that. That's for sure. You mentioned the dawn of man. There's no dialogue spoken. And there doesn't need to be. But one thing that there does need to be in that scene to make it really, really work is music. And Kubrick initially hired um, a film composer named Alex North to create music for the opening scene. He didn't like it, so Kubrick eventually went with um, Also Sprocked Zarathustra by Richard Strauss instead. And the result, I mean, it's legendary. I mean, it's just a perfect blend of music and imagery, right? Um, and you mentioned, you know, like the early humans are there. They're, like, they're afraid, right? They forage for food. The monolith appears. They're given the ability to fight, and they, they sort of embrace aggression, right, in order to survive. And like you said, the shot of the bone being thrown into the air, and then it turns into the space station. That simple edit that they did mm -hmm. told the entire story of how mankind evolved from caveman into where they got into the future with the satellite. Brilliant. I agree with you. It's my number five, too. What's your number four? I mean, that really is a podcasting first. I'm, yep, first time ever. We, we both that. agree on the same number and everything, but nope, 2001 A Space Odyssey. I, um, it was really hard ranking this week just because like there's so many that so I So many good ones, there. I know. And I didn't want to necessarily go for nothing but kind of low-hanging fruit, but if you're number one, it's number one for a reason. Like, I don't want to be contrarian just for contrarian's sake. Like, if something right. deserves to be on the list, it deserves to be that's, on the list. That's what I, that's sort of the approach I take every week. I take a bit of flack for it sometimes, you know, like, you know, oh, I'm being textbook and all that kind of stuff, which is perfectly mm -hmm. fine. I totally get it. When, But but there's a reason why everybody, a lot, or a lot of people agree that something is the best, you know, because it is. <laughs> so you just got to acknowledge it. That's what I think sometimes. But yeah. anyway, sorry, all number right. four. Yep. So my number four is uh, the opening scene from *Inglorious Bastards*. Uh, oh man, Christoph obviously Balls. it's it's oh, a Tarantino so film, yeah. which a lot of his opening scenes are particularly strong. Yes. Um, it's 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 a weird. What what genre would you call *Inglorious Bastards*? Is it like an anti-history? Like what oh, would you? Man, that's that's really really good because you you, you, you alternate think, history film or something. Yeah, almost I guess, and it flips things on its head. It's not really a war movie, that's for sure. It's more of a, sort of an intrigue. It almost reminds me of some of the film noir of like the 50s you know mm -hmm. of kind of like kind of that but uh, it's definitely right you're you're right Tarantino's movies when they open up they're usually quite heavily laden with dialogue and just unbelievable dialogue but mm -hmm. uh, but and anyway sorry go ahead yeah so Inglorious Bastards is mine obviously just to set up the scene um, we're in France and the Germans have occupied most of Europe by this point and uh, you see Christoph Waltz character he's one of my favorite actors he's one of the most versatile actors in 
the freaking planet. Um, but he basically he shows up with other uh, you know Nazis to this farm, and this guy is a dairy farmer, and you know he has his his wife that lives there with him, and I, I can't remember if he has kids or not. To be honest with you, but uh, or he has older daughters. I don't think yes. he has younger kids. Long story short, um, he is hiding Jews underneath his floorboards, and Christoph Waltz's character comes in, and he's obviously very clean cut. He is super super professional. He's very courteous. You know they they they. He asks if he can come inside. He sits down, takes a seat. He's super polite. He compliments, you know, his daughters and saying, you know, this daughter is even fairer than the last one. Like, all of your daughters are so beautiful. And they ask him if you'd like a glass of wine. And he very politely, you know, he he rejects that. And he says, you know, are you a dairy farmer? I'll have a glass of milk. You know, and then he's speaking fluent French. And then he speaks German. And then he'll speak English. And at the very end, basically, like, you feel this tension because you know, you know he's hiding these Jews underneath his floorboard they're literally standing underneath him and at the very end he basically says like are you hiding them underneath your floorboard yes and then let the commencement begin you late they basically just unload on these people it's like the the, the craziest start to this like they, they kind of build him up as like this likable really charismatic character christoph waltz's character i can't remember exactly what his name is it's something german but um you know they build it up whatever and then just like that they completely tear it down you see like these people are monsters they're absolutely monsters but it's it's just like with um just like with jaws it's one of the most just tense like you feel it like emotionally like you could feel it like you're trying to choke your you know you're trying to swallow your spit and you can't kind of thing it's yeah. just I mean, it's it's really. I watch it in theaters with my friends um, in high school, and it was just absolutely incredible. And the the whole film is like that. There's just so many quotable scenes and stuff, but uh, it's definitely one of my favorite opening scenes. That's a good one. Oh man, that's a good one. Uh, my number four was one like you mentioned uh, for your number four. It it was hard for you to swallow. You know what I mean? Like, cause you're so tense. For my yep. number four, it was hard, for me. It was hard to breathe. I couldn't catch my breath, and that was during uh, Saving Private Ryan. So the opening 20 minutes of the movie obviously depict the U.S. landings at Omaha Beach in Normandy. Um, I think it this scene is the greatest battle scene in movie history. Uh, it's mm-hmm. shot like the style. It's almost documentary, right? And the sights and the sounds and, and just the way it captures this essence of like confusion and hysteria and all while sort of being driven toward a almost insurmountable goal. It's it's amazing. No words can describe it. Like the the fact that it goes on for 20 minutes makes it one of the longest opening scenes in movie history. And I think the complexity, the detail of how it's shot, I think that single-handedly won Spielberg the Oscar for Best Director. Um, obviously, the fact that the film lost the Oscar for Best Picture is a whole different podcast in itself. And, you know, we'll get that another day. But um, for today, well, let's just say that the opening scene from Saving Private Ryan is the most incredible part of an incredible, incredible film. It's my number four. I wanted to put that on my list, but I mean, technically it's not the opening scene, right? Like the, don't they start out like basically at like a memorial or like the, you know, a graveyard basically. Isn't that how it starts out? Yes. Like that's technically yes. the first scene and then it quickly pans into it. You're right. You're right. The, the, the older Matt Damon character is, is at the, the graveside. Um, and mm-hmm. he's, he's actually going to, as we learn later, he goes to um, Tom Hanks, uh, uh, was it Sergeant Miller? He goes to his graveside. Mm-hmm. And, and and visit with his with his with his kids and his wife and all that. So you're kind of right there, um, but I still think we got to think of that as an opening scene, right? Uh, so I'll I'll also I'll call it an opening scene. Okay, fair enough. All right, what are we on number three? Here, number three. Yeah. Oh man, this is tough. Uh, it's great. <laughs> what I want to make number three. I, I literally I have a whole bunch of names and stuff like that. I was having a really hard time with this. My wife and I were discussing this over dinner, trying to like parse so cool. these out. Um, I'll go with Dark Knight. Uh, Dark Knight's opening scene. Uh, everybody's seen Dark Knight. It's a fantastic film. One of the best villains ever. You know what I mean? Uh, obviously, they uh, 
basically rob a bank. They some kind of like crazy mastermind, you know, robs a bank. They have two people that uh, come in on a zip line on the roof. They have people, three people who bust in through the doors. Um, basically, like he, the Joker, masterminds this whole thing to where he has everybody working together. But he's basically, you know, told each person to kill another. And you basically watch as like they're overtaking this bank. They blow the safe. You know, they take complete control. But you can see how it's like everybody in this is is incredibly self-serving, and they basically kill each other off until there's only one other dude left. And then, of course, you know, there's like the the fun scene where he's like, "Oh, you know, you know, this is the part where I'm supposed to kill you." And then Heath Ledger's character basically says, "Like, oh, you know, I was told to to uh, to kill the bus driver." And he's like, "You know, who's the bus driver?" And you literally see Heath Ledger, you see the Joker, like walk two or three steps to the left, and then the guy gets run over by a bus. Um, I mean, it's just. It's funny, but it's also like really, really dark. Of course, he shoves the grenade into uh, you know, the the, the bank. I, I don't want you to call him the bank manager's mouth, and then pulls, you know, as he pulls away, the strings attached to the bus, and it rips the pin out of the grenade or the smoke bomb, rather. It's just a really, really weird, dark one. Like you literally see like half a dozen people die within the first two or three minutes of the film. Um, so it's, I mean, it just sets it up as like this being, like I said, one of the best cinematic villains I think we've ever seen. I mean, it's really unfortunate that he did go so soon because. Can you imagine if he made five or six of these Batman films and, and just constantly developed that character? It just would have been amazing. But uh, So that's my number three. It was really tough because it could have been two. It could have even been number one. It was just so, so strong. But there are some movies that have been around for a little bit longer, and I think their uh, their impact culturally is just so much bigger that I kind of had to stick it in the middle somewhere. Oh, it's all good. Okay, so uh, my number three, you mentioned it earlier. Yes, I'm going with it. It's Jaws. Uh, opening scene, obviously, Chrissy Watkins, as I mentioned, played by Susan Backlany. She, she leaves this beach party. She goes skinny dipping at night in the ocean you know what could possibly go wrong right we see some we see you some know? frontal nudity just a little bit just but there is some just there. a glance she's in silhouette so you don't see a whole lot but you're right uh, you know it's 70s nudity right uh <laughs> but anyway so um she goes into the ocean and she gets brutally attacked by a shark right so but mm-hmm. what makes the scene so effective and so incredibly scary is isn't what you see but it's what you don't see and that's what sets the tone for the whole movie and I mentioned this before on a podcast Spielberg originally wanted to have the shark come flying out of the water and you could see the whole thing as it attacks her but the mechanical shark you know didn't work you know before the days of CGI like I said thank goodness Um, Mm. so it didn't work kept breaking down so Spielberg just went ahead shot the scene so you don't see the shark and it scared the crap out of people Like like there is nothing more vivid than your own personal imagination and this scene plays on that and also plays on the fact that if you think about it, if you were out swimming in the ocean you couldn't see the shark coming either right so it plays on a lot of fears and it was also responsible for creating a lot of fears at the time and um and it just as a piece of trivia, so the, the actress, when she was doing the scene, she got fixed up with this harness, right? And it, the harness had two ropes coming off of it, and they ran all the way into the beach, where each rope was being held onto by a man. And it was these guys' jobs to take turns pulling on the ropes to jerk her around in the ocean to simulate the shark attack, right? And her job was to scream. The only mm-hmm. problem was she started to realize as the scene is going on that if something was to actually happen to her, like if she's getting pulled under the water and starts drowning because these guys are, you know, pulling her back and forth, no one would know it because if she screamed, they just think she's acting. And so a lot of that scene (laughs) is the actress, she's screaming for real. Like, and that just made the whole thing even more terrifying. Like it's an amazing scene, amazing way to open up one of the best movies of all time. So that's mine. Number two. 
I will say too, the one underrated aspect of that is not just like screaming like help, help, but like you can sense like that moment of desperation where like she's literally being ripped in half. And at one point she screams like it hurts. Like she's literally being ripped apart. You know what I mean? I love that part. And I, I love to where it like it keeps panning out and it shows like the 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 guy like passed out drunk on the beach. And he's just yep. kind of like laying there like hanging out. And like you just want to scream. You're like, get up. You know, like why don't you hear her? Go help her. You know, and she's literally just being like taken into the abyss. You know what I mean? Yep. It's just it's perfect. Oh, it really so is good. perfect. So good. All right. Um, number two. Oh, what do I want to make? Number two. Hmm. Number two. We'll go with Apocalypse Now. Ooh, I wanted to make this number one, but we'll we'll go we'll go with number two. Um, this is one of the films where I know you know it, and I know you respect it, and I was late to the party. Um, I watched it maybe two years ago on Netflix, and I've since then watched it maybe half a dozen times. Um, it is just the the opening sequence. Obviously, it's a uh, it, it's another long opening scene, and um, you know, it shows the main character. It shows him um. I think it's in Saigon, you know, he wakes up and it shows, you know, he has like a spoon on his nightstand. He, you know, he has all, he's smoking weed and, and then it pans out and you see like, you see the jungle, you see the napalm fires and stuff like that. And then it would, it, you know, it, it keeps panning back to him, back to the jungle. And it basically shows this guy who's kind of self-destructing, you know, just, you know, constantly drinking and doing drugs and stuff like that. And, you know, as it progresses and stuff, like he'll literally wake up in the morning, he'll go look out the blinds and he's like, oh, I'm still in Saigon. Like he literally wakes up and he doesn't know where he is. Like that's how destructive he's gotten. Obviously he's dealing with a lot of like PTSD and stuff. Like he'll look up at the ceiling fan and, and it, he hears a chopper. You know what I mean? Um, it's just, it, it's, you know, it has the, the only Doors song playing that I've ever really liked, The End, which is just like a fantastically beautiful song. Some of the best drum work like you'll ever find. But, um, you know, it's just talking about this guy and it talks about like his relationship with his wife or like he hardly talked at all until, you know, he said that he wanted a divorce. You know, every time he was home, he wished he was back out in the jungle kind of thing. And he's basically just waiting around. He's getting antsy because he wants to go back into war. You know what I mean? And of course, it ends that that first final scene ends with. You know he's he's drinking and you know he's super super drunk he's probably high too and um he starts doing like karate or like some sort of like kung fu and like his mind he's like preparing because you know he thinks that there's there's some guy out in the jungle who's getting stronger as he's getting weaker and you can see him literally like falling apart emotionally while he's doing this he's doing kung fu and he's you know taking shots of like you know a fifth of whiskey or something he punches the mirror he gets blood all over himself and he's naked crying bleeding on the floor it's just this like i don't know it i mean it hits every single emotion you don't even have to be you know you're never too young to have a vietnam flashback basically i know that's kind of like a joke but like you can see how real it is and it's just a perfect scene so that's my number two there you go okay my number two when i was 11 years old i went to the movies and i saw raiders of the lost ark and it instantly became my second favorite movie of all time. Star Wars is still first. And nice. a lot of the reason why I loved Raiders of the Lost Ark so much is because of the first sequence in the movie. And since I've gotten older, I've obviously been able to rewatch it and also introduce it to my son, too. He loves it, too. And and as I watched it as an adult, I, I was able to get a better idea of sort of just why the opening of the movie is so good. You know, the editing, the pace, plot, action, character development, it's all in there, all crammed into the first 12 minutes. Uh, we see that Indiana Jones is crafty and he's smart and he's also really, really lucky. And mm-hmm. we see the set of booby traps, um, almost unlike anything we've ever seen in a movie. And by the time that that huge boulder chases him out of the cave, you're almost as out of breath as he is. It's a brilliant movie opening, one of the best ever. And like the cool thing for me is, is that the, the scene, 
is so action-packed, probably one of the most action-packed scenes in movie history to open a film. And then it's followed up by one of the most boring scenes ever. When Indy and Marcus are describing the arc to the, uh, the army intelligence guys, to me, it's like a film school lesson in how to pace a movie because the audience needs time to catch its breath. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what Spielberg does there. And, and funny enough, you know, that comes to mind. The incredible thing is we're doing a top five movie openings of all time, and three of mine are from Spielberg. So, you know, he's not the best director in history of film for nothing. Right, folks? Mm-hmm. Okay. Number one. I thought, I thought you were going to say he's not the best director in film, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> no, he's not, he, he, he's not the best director in film for nothing. <laughs> for nothing. Okay. Yep, he sure is. <laughs> um, real quick before I give you my number one, yeah. I, I posed this question. I, I basically, you know, tweeted out that I was, you know, preparing show notes and stuff like that, and I asked for some of our, our listeners and, you know, Twitter mm-hmm. followers and yep. stuff like that, you know, what are some of theirs? Obviously, a lot of the people that follow me and I follow are within the same range, you know, age range, maybe like 20 to 30 ish. Mm -hmm. Um, A a lot of people said Super Troopers a lot, like (laughs) over half of people said, you know, the you know, with the cops pulling them over and then, you know, they make the one friend eat like a hundred dollars worth of weed and thirty dollars worth of mushrooms. And he's he's freaking out. You know, I I had to mention that Um, a lot of people mentioned Rounders. Mm. Did you watch that Rounders? No. Uh, it's a poker movie. It's it, it's okay. I, I like Rounders, but uh, it has its problems too. Uh, Saving Private Ryan, mm-hmm. Super Troopers, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, okay. Coming to America, oh, great yeah. opening scene, underrated scene. Oh yeah, um, so good. This is wedding <laughs> scene, right? So yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, Boogie Nights, The Matrix, and Scream. Those are some of the other ones that we got. But Scream is a good um, one too. Scream does have a good opening. Scream scene. is very yeah. very good. That's good. when he calls her back and yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so my number one, not to stall, but my number one is uh, it has a very dear place in my heart. I don't own this movie, but I wish I did because it really is one of the best movies of all time, and it's The Lion King. I don't, I don't oh, hate that I'm saying this. Good, yeah, it, it is, it is such a perfect movie. It's yeah. Disney's best movie. It still holds up. I mean, obviously, everybody. I don't have to explain this scene to you. Everybody knows that it's, you know, the sun's coming up, and you see the little leaf cutter ants. You know, everybody is like assembling all these animal creatures in the entire, you know, kingdom and stuff. And you know, to see like a child is born, it's very kind of like, a, you know, it, it draws a lot of biblical parallels, obviously, with, you know you know the sun is born basically and it's just it's the perfect start to like a perfect movie and it's um, i mean it's just iconic everybody hears that you know i'm not going to sing it on the air because you know you kind of you, you you took the mantle you know you, you took the top spot as far as singing goes in the podcast so <laughs> yeah, i'll leave that apparently last week. <laughs> but it's just a perfect film uh, i mean like i said it doesn't need an introduction it doesn't need a description because everybody knows it. it's just it's perfect for me so it's my number one okay my number one no big surprise here you know what it is it's star wars i mentioned back on episode 10 I was seven years old when I first sat down in a theater in Kitchener and I watched Star Wars. It was life-changing for me. It gave me a lifelong appreciation of movies and just how much that they can affect people. So I don't need to go into details. You know how it starts out a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But then, boom, full-frame title of Susie Rice's Star Wars logo totally fills the frame and then immediately is followed by the first note of John Williams' score. And then the logo just pulls straight back into space and the crawl starts. And the crawl was based on those old Flash Gordon serials that did the same thing. But the the Flash Gordon crawls went really, really fast. This one went slow and it gave you a chance to read it. And it gave you an idea what was going on in this whole world that you were just about to discover. And then it pans down to the planet's surface of Tatooine. Tanta 4 goes overhead and then, then the Star Destroyer. And as a Star Destroyer makes its way over the frame of the screen, I've mentioned it before, 
but watching that on the big screen as a seven-year-old was the single greatest moment I've ever experienced in a movie theater. It'll never be repeated. Nothing will ever, ever come close, come close to that. And everything that follows after it, you know, like Leia putting the plans into R2, the rebels fighting, and Darth Vader entering the ship. I'm sorry. If you're a kid, if, if you're not even a kid, if you're anyone sitting in a movie theater in 1977 and you are not affected by the opening scene of Star Wars, then there's only one explanation, and that's that you're dead. For the living, it's the single greatest opening scene in the history of movies. And interestingly enough, Yancey, before we go on, the what's do you know what's missing from the opening of Star Wars? What's missing? Yeah, what's the one thing that's missing from the opening of Star Wars? I don't know, Christopher. What is it missing? Credits. So there's no opening credits in the movie. That is true. And so what happened was Lucas obviously started the movie off just the way that I described it. We all know it, right? And the Directors Guild of America basically said to him, George, you can't do that, okay? And so they they begrudgingly allowed it on Star Wars. But uh, then when it came time and he made Empire Strikes Back, he did the same thing, right? So mm-hmm. what the Directors Guild of America did was they fined Irvin Kirshner $250,000, Really? As a fine for not putting the credits. Most importantly of the credits, the director's credit at the front of the movie because he didn't do it. So Lucas, of course, paid the fine and then dropped out of the Directors Guild of America. So the, <laughs> the problem was then is now that because he's no longer in the Directors Guild of America, he could not hire his original selection to direct Jedi. And that was Steven Spielberg. He wanted Spielberg to direct Jedi and he couldn't do it. So no, instead he had to look outside the guild and that's why he went with Richard Marquand. Richard Marquand was like a, a TV director. He had directed the Eye of the Needle as well. But um, just some interesting bit of fact on uh, on the opening, <clears throat> excuse me, on the opening of Star Wars and just kind of, kind of how that played out and a little bit of trivia on it. But still, the greatest opening in the history of movies. No two ways about it. Anyway, uh, time to have some fun with Yancey. Okay, so this week, Yancey, we're going to play a little game. Mm-hmm. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to describe the opening scene. You name the movie. Pretty straightforward. I'm not going to be good at this. No, it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> However, I'll tell you what. Since we had so much fun doing it on our game show episode, we're going to be doing it in the style of the winner's circle from the $100,000 pyramid. <laughs> So just to recap, I will describe the opening scene. You name the movie. Ready? Simple enough. Yes. Go. Blackness. A monologue that begins with, I believe in America. Marlon Brando stroking a purring cat. Man asked Don Corleone to murder two boys that raped him, beat his daughter. Man sitting in chair stroking the cat is a mafia boss. Oh, uh, Godfather? Yep. Close up of a woman's mouth zooms into her eye. My, my, my. Screen turns red. Rooftop chase. Police officer and Jimmy Stewart chase bad guy across several rooftops. Jimmy Stewart falls off roof and grabs the eavesdrop. Oh, is this Vertigo? Yes. Yes, clutch, Yancy. An old mansion. An ominous gate. A no trespassing sign. Cain lies in bed. Snow globe in hand. Rosebud. That's Citizen Kane. <laughs> A helicopter. Yellow smoke. 
Jim Morrison's The End. Oh, come on, Chris, come on. Apocalypse Now, come on. (laughs) Glacier National Park. A winding road. Yellow Volkswagen Beetle makes its way up mountain roads. Snow-topped mountain. The Overlook Hotel. Oh, um, Psycho. Man takes a shining to his new digs. Oh, the shining. There Sorry. I go. I got him. I got him mixed up. This was a trivia question a couple weeks ago, there and you I go. just blanked. Scarlett Johansson's. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson's. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson's. Oh. Scarlett Johansson's. I don't know, Chris. What do you? <laughs> Scarlett Johansson's. Gets lost in translation. I've never seen it. It gets lost in translation. That's the movie. Lost, lost in translation. translation. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson's ass. <laughs> Good job. You did awesome, man. That was great. Oh, look at that. You nailed it. Uh, anyway, listen, thanks again for joining us this week. At Yancey Eden or at C. McBrien on Twitter. Chris or Yancey at popgoesyourworld.com on the email. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 